You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, it's important you understand the content of this podcast may be difficult to follow, as it assumes you have the necessary training, qualifications and experience to understand the concepts discussed as well as the technical language used. If you still decide to listen, please understand the information contained in this recording is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Any scenarios considered during this podcast are purely hypothetical and for illustrated purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. On 1 July 2021, the concessional and non-concessional contribution caps are increasing to $27,500 and $110,000 respectively. This means Superfund members will be able to increase their contribution levels to take advantage of the lift in caps from 1 July, but members of self-managed Superfunds may actually be able to take advantage of these increases earlier via the use of contribution reserving strategies. Hi, I'm Tim Sanderson, a senior manager in the First Tech team, and here to discuss contribution reserving strategies with me is Craig Day, head of the First Tech team. G'day, Craig. Hey, Tim. How's it going? Yeah, going very well, thanks. How are you? Not too bad. So we got it the other way around this time. So you're asking the questions and I'm the guinea pig. That's right. New ground for me. So let's see how we go. Um, so first, firstly... Um, Give us a basic rundown of a contribution reserving strategy. How, how does it work? Yeah, okay. So to understand contribution reserving strategies, first of all, we need to understand that this is really only relevant for self-managed super funds. So large funds uh, actually have a subject to some different rules in terms of the time frame that they've got to allocate contributions. But self-managed super funds are subject to the rule in CIS Regulation 7.08 subsection 2, which talks about that a contribution must be allocated to a member's account no later than 28 days after the end of the month the contribution is made, or if not reasonably practical to allocate the contribution within that time frame, they can allocate within such longer period as is reasonable in the circumstances, right? So in that situation, what you're probably going to see is most self-managed funds looking to rely on the first leg of that. So simply allocating no later than 28 days after the end of the month. Now, that pretty much makes no difference to a member of a self-managed super fund for any month of the year other than June, okay? So the question there is, Well, if a member makes a contribution that the fund receives in June, but then the trustee decides not to allocate that contribution immediately, as they're allowed to do under CISREG 708, and instead to allocate it by the 28th of July in the following financial year, in which year does the contribution count against the uh, relevant contribution cap? So if we look at this, the ATU actually came out with a tax determination 2013-22 back in 2013, and that addressed or resolved a couple of issues that had previously been dealt with under binding financial, uh, sorry, private binding rulings or uh, interpretive decisions. Now, what those uh, previous interpretive decisions and also this tax determination confirms is that in the year that we make a contribution and then the trustee allocates that to reserve and then allocates it to their account in the following financial year in accordance with a contribution reserving strategy, then technically that contribution will count towards the member's caps 
in both years. Now, that then results in double taxation. Now, double taxation is a very bad thing and the government and the ATO don't want it. So basically what they did is they said, okay, yes, it counts in both years technically, but we will only count it in the year of allocation to avoid that double taxation issue. So if I make a contribution in June of this year and the trustee allocates it to reserve before allocating it, let's say on the 1st of July, that means that contribution will count against the relevant cap in next financial year, so 2021-22. Now, also really important to understand here uh, is that the ATO have also confirmed that any contributions that are made uh, that are going to be deductible contributions will be deductible in the year the contribution is made. So therefore, I could claim a tax deduction for a contribution I make in June in this financial year even though the contribution won't count against uh, against my caps until the following financial year. Right. So we've essentially got situations where we have a deduction in one year but counting towards the cap in a different year. So could you could you give us an example of, of how that might work? Yeah. So, okay. So if we look at, let's say, um, concessional contributions, right? So taking into account that the concessional contribution cap is going to increase to $27,500 on the 1st of July, what this potentially allows us to do is to make concessional contributions this year of up to $52,500. So that's the $25,000 cap for this year, as well as $27,500 that's going to apply next year. And we claim a deduction for that full uh, $52,500 in our tax return this financial year. And that all works just so long as the trustee accepts the $27,500 personal contribution made in June and allocates it in accordance with the rules by the 28th of July in the following year. So in that situation, we would have the $25,000 of that uh, $52,500 counting this financial year against my concessional cap and the $27,500 counting next year because that will be allocated next year. So therefore, that will count against my concessional cap next year. But in that situation, you do need to be careful and remember that you will have automatically now used up your full concessional cap for next year. So if you make any, let's say SG or salary sacrifice contribution, something along those lines, or another personal deductible contribution next year, forgetting about this, all of those contributions will be excess concessional contributions in that year. Yeah, I often hear this referred to as almost like a one-off strategy because uh, it's it's because of what you said there. It's not something that you can look to use again and again and again every year. No, um, that's right. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, and just uh, I guess a clarification on the on this strategy. We talked in that example about fifty two and a half thousand dollars being allocated essentially across two years for cap purposes. Does that mean I can just put in the one contribution of 52500 or does it really need to be done as separate amounts? Yeah, great question. In fact, it does need to be done as two separate amounts. Otherwise, um, what the ATO have said is that if you look to split up one single contribution, in this case of $52,500, then Technically, what they're saying there is you're doing that to avoid the application of excess concessional contributions tax, uh, and therefore that could be tax avoidance, right? So in that situation, you address that situation by making sure that you make two separate contributions or at least two separate contributions. And so you could make the first $25,000 at any time during the financial year, 
but that second $27,500 contribution that you want to make this year but allocate next financial year must be made in June because if we make it in May, it has to be allocated by the 28th of June, which is obviously not going to be in a separate financial year. So it has to go in in June and only in June. Sure. Um, So, yeah, as you say, we know that it's um, contribution reserving. We get the deduction in year one. It counts towards our concessional cap for the amount that we've reserved in year two. How would, um, with contributions tax, how would that work in this scenario? Is it year one or year two? Right, yeah. So this is where it starts to get a little bit strange, right? So what the ATO say here is that you need to include those contributions in the fund's assessable income in the year that the contribution was received. So in this case, for tax purposes, for the, or should I say for the super funds tax purposes, we're treating that contribution as if it's been made and received in the year that it was made and received. Um, but for cap purposes, we're treating it as if it was made next year, right? So in that situation, uh, if we go back to that original example of $52,500 total personal contributions, if we're going to claim a tax deduction for all of those, which means it claim, uh, counts against the concessional cap, as soon as we claim a tax deduction for it, that means that those contributions get included in the fund's assessable income. So therefore, the fund's assessable income this year would increase by $52,500. And we would actually have to deduct the 15% contributions tax from all of those contributions in this relevant year. Sure. Um, So we've talked about how this sort of thing would work for concessional cap purposes. Um, I guess another thing that some people have to think about when it comes to making concessional contributions is Division 293 tax. Um, Is it a how would it work with Division 293 tax when you're reserving contributions? Is it a, a similar approach to concessional cap purposes? Yeah, really good really good question, Tim. Um, and remember for Division 293 tax purposes, the, the amounts that count towards that $250,000 threshold, uh, and once we go over that, that's when we start to have a, additional uh, Division 293 tax of 15% apply to um, our concessional contributions, depending on the level of those concessional contributions and how much of those contributions exceed that 250 threshold. But the interesting thing here is when we're looking at that 250 threshold, we look at our uh, income, I think it's for um, income for surcharge purposes, and then we th- throw in what's called our low tax contributions. So they're our concessional contributions that don't exceed the concessional contribution cap. So in this situation, when you go back and look at how the rules work, once again, we end up with this double taxation situation because um, in the way that the relevant sections in the Tax Act work is to say that we potentially would be captured by including our low tax contributions, both in the year those contributions are made, as well as in the year that they're allocated. So In this case, assuming the ATO applies the same approach to saying that an assessable contribution will count towards the member's income for Division 293 tax purposes in the year the contribution is allocated and and not the year that it's made. So apply that same rationale that we're using for the contribution caps for Division 293 tax purposes. Now, the ATO haven't told us that this is the way it works. So, you know, if you're in this situation, it's always potentially worthwhile seeking professional guidance or or seeking a a private binding ruling from the ATO. But assuming that they do apply that same methodology and it would make sense that they would, then that those 
contributions that you're going to allocate next year shouldn't be included in your income for Division 293 tax purposes this year. So if I use the example before, assuming the member above had, let's say, uh, other income of $275,000, their income for Division 293 tax purposes would actually be $247,500. And how do I get that result? Well, I know I've got $275,000 there. I'm then claiming a tax deduction for $52,500. But then I add back in my low tax contributions for this year, which is 25. And that leaves me at 247,500 after taking into account both those deductions and the low tax contributions. So in that situation, the client actually wouldn't have any Division 293 tax liability for this financial year. So, so that's a great outcome for this year for that person in that, in that scenario. But. Uh, I guess while it may help them avoid Division 293 tax this year, there is a potential sting in the tail next year, isn't there? Yeah, and it's as we talked about before, it's very similar to, you know, if I'm reserving a contribution for contribution cap purposes, then I've just I've really just used up all of my cap for this year by doing that. Sorry, my used up all of my cap next year by doing that this year. Same again here, right? So if I was to go and, let's say, reserve that 27500 and allocate that next year, that means that that 27500 is going to be included my income for Division 293 purposes next year, but next year I won't have the deduction to also reduce my accessible income because I've already claimed that deduction this year, I won't get it next year. So as a result, you know, change it around a little bit. Let's say that person's uh, tax uh, assessable income or other income now reduces to $240,000 this year. Now I go back in and add in that $27,500 and I don't have a deduction to reduce my other income. That means I'm going to be subject to Division 293 tax for at least part of my concessional contributions next year. Yeah, so probably going to be more advantageous potentially to people who might have an unusually large level of income this year and are not expecting anything like that level of income next year. Yeah, potentially, potentially. And so probably 99% of the time where I've heard contribution reserving, most of the discussion has been around doing it in relation to concessional contributions. Um, but what about what about the other type of contributions, so non-concessional contributions and contribution reserving? Um, how yeah. does that work? Yeah, interesting, because when you look at um, tax determination 2013-22, it only actually refers to concessional contributions. But as I've just gone through with Division 293, the absolute same logic should apply, right? Because otherwise, those contributions would count against my non-concessional cap in both financial years, and I'd potentially end up with double taxation. So in that situation, um, if we apply that same logic, a non-concessional contribution made in June, but which was then allocated to reserve prior to being allocated in the following financial year by 28 July, will count against the member's non-concessional cap in the year it's allocated. Okay, so does that mean someone under age 65 could make a non-concessional contribution of 330000 under the Bring Forward Rule in June but have it allocated in July to take advantage of the higher cap? Uh, Yes, it does. But whether that's worth doing uh, is the question. So, for example, as I've just been through, if you were to make a $330,000 contribution in June this year, 
you could allocate that to reserve and then allocate it back by the 28th of July in the following financial year. And then that $330,000 contribution would actually count in the following financial year once the caps have gone up. However, when you think about that, there's nothing to stop me actually achieving exactly that same outcome by just simply timing my contribution. So for example, let's say I wanted to make a $100,000 contribution this year, and then I've got the option of either making another contribution in June and reserving that or simply waiting until the 1st of July and then making that $330,000 contribution under the bring forward rules. So when you think about it, the only thing that the reserving strategy does in that situation is allows you to get that contribution into the concessionally taxed uh, environment a maximum of 30 days earlier than you otherwise could. So in many cases, there may not be much point and it's actually just adding additional administration to the fund. So more more complexity just for that maximum of 30 days within super. Yeah. yeah. And when you think about it, you know, a lot of clients may not be making contribution on the 1st of June. They might be putting these contributions in, you know, the 20th or the 25th. So if it's the 25th, you're only getting the contribution in five days earlier than you otherwise would. So yeah. in many cases, it may not just be it may not be worthwhile. That's a good point. Yeah. And and what about for someone, let's say someone is is turning 65 before the end of the year and they won't be able to use the bring forward rule next year under current legislation. Could they make 330 in June this year but allocate it next year for cap purposes? Yeah, it's tempting to think that that might be a strategy, um, but the simple answer is no. The client will not qualify to use the bring forward rules next year. When you think about it, going back to those eligibility rules, to use the, the bring forward rule, you've got to be under age 65 at some point during the year, right? So in this case, if we were to go and make a $330,000 non-concessional contribution this year, um, assuming that I'm under 65 for at least part of the year, but I'm going to turn 65, let's say, on the 25th of June, then in that situation, when I try and go and allocate that contribution next year, I won't be entitled to use the bring forward rule in that year because I'm over 65 for at all times during that financial year. So therefore, in that situation, my non-concessional cap is going to be a maximum of $110,000 next year. So therefore, I'm not actually going to be able to uh, get the additional amount that I've made there allocated to myself without causing an excess non-concessional contribution issue. So in that situation, the client would have been better off making a $300,000 non-concessional contribution this year and simply allocating it this year. And and just a reminder for the listeners, um, on the Bring Forward Rule, that proposal you'd be aware of from 1 July 2020 to extend access to the Bring Forward Rule to people under 67 any time during the year. Um, at the moment, that, that remains before Parliament but hasn't yet been legislated. Yeah, um, great point. Yeah. And, and so obviously what I've just said, if that does get passed, then that just moves forward. So I've got to think about, you know, if I'm under 67 at some point in the year, doesn't make any difference. You know, if I'm going to be over 67 at all times during the financial year that I try and allocate those contributions, then my cap is going to be a, a maximum of $110,000. Yeah. And, and so we've talked, I think, about um, contribution reserving and non-concessional contributions in some situations, no real, not a big benefit. In others, not possible if, if you wouldn't qualify in the next year for the bring forward rule. Um, so when would you use uh, a contribution reserving strategy with non-concessional contributions? Yeah. The, the 
the main benefit of a reserve a contribution reserving strategy with non-concessional contribution actually when you go through all the different things it just simply comes back to the fact that it may allow a person to bring forward a non-concessional contribution into a year that they satisfy the work test so if i gave an example let's say you know we know the work test now has been increased to age 67 so let's just say we've got a person age 66 that's currently working full time or part time but they plan to retire on 30 June when they actually turn 67. Now, in that situation, what that could allow them to do is to make an additional non-concessional contribution in June this year of $110,000 while they're still eligible to contribute. And then the trustee simply allocates that to reserve and then allocates it back to their account in the following financial year by 28 July. Now, in that situation, we're not making a contribution next year when they don't satisfy the work test. Instead, the trustee is simply allocating a contribution to their account in that year. So we don't have to worry about the work test in that situation. We just need to worry about the non-concessional cap. And because we've limited our contribution to $110,000, that will be uh, within the non-concessional cap from 1 July next year. And so certainly worth thinking about, I think, for people who this year might be of an age where they don't need the work test, but next year they would, or someone who is a bit older potentially and meets the work test this year but won't meet it next year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so if I'm an advisor and I have a client interested in contribution reserving, are there some? what are the, the practical issues that I need to think about? Yeah, and this is really interesting because you, if you've got a self-managed chip fund and you're looking at doing this, you are actually going to need to get the accountant on board here because there's a whole bunch of quite strange things that go on. So we, we know we've, we've been dealing with looking at the year the contribution is allocated uh, from a contribution cap purposes, uh, sorry, from contribution cap purposes as well as DIV 293. Um, But to do this from from an actually administrative perspective is a little bit complicated. So what the ATO actually have said to us is that, that those contributions that you're making must be reported in the year they're received rather than the year they're allocated. So what that means is the trustee will not only need to account for those contributions in in the year they're received, they must also report the details for those contributions in the SMSF's annual return for the year that the contributions are made. So if I use this example that we've been using so far, of a member making $52,500 worth of contributions. So in that situation, if they were going to be concessional, well, I'm claiming them as a personal deductible contribution, so therefore count against my concessional account. What the ATO tells us is the fund would actually need to report contributions for the member of the $52,500 and also include those contributions in the fund's assessable income. So as I went through before, um, 15% contributions tax would apply to those contributions in the year that they're made, not in the year they're allocated. Now, obviously, that's going to cause a bit of a problem because if we're reporting all of those contributions in this year, how does the ATO know that the client hasn't exceeded their cap? Well, in fact, what they've done is actually released a form, specific form, to allow trustees to implement this strategy. So, um, the details for that form are in the um, the article that we've written on this uh, that will be available on the the First Tech website. So if you want more information, obviously go along there. We've also included a link to this particular form. And what that does is it allows the member to notify the ATO that the trustee has actually allocated some of that total personal deductible contribution that I've made uh, to a reserve and then allocated in the following financial year by 28 July. So 
the ATO will then use that uh, that information provided in that form to adjust their concessional contributions for most for both years to make sure that they don't actually exceed their cap in either year. So you mentioned that's for adjusting uh, concessional contributions. If if we are doing the reserving strategy using non-concessional, can we use that form as well? Ah, great question again. Uh, no. Strangely enough, the ATO have actually said that that form only applies for concessional contributions and they haven't released a form that applies to non-concessional contributions. However, they have said actually in the instructions for completing that particular form, they've actually said, no, you can't use this for non-concessional contributions, but if you're in that situation, just simply write to us. So you'll need to send the ATO a letter outlining everything uh, that the ATO will need to know to allocate those contributions to the appropriate year. Yeah, so possibly the ATO, they're not seeing the same level of demand for adjusting non-concessional as concessional. Yeah, um, I think so. I think you're yeah. spot on there. Um, and, and what about the, so if we want to achieve an effective contribution reserving strategy, what are the sort of documents that are going to be required to to affect that? Yeah, okay. So this is another practical issue to to address. So first of all, obviously with a self-managed super fund, just making sure the D doesn't um, prohibit this type of um, activity. So if we had a D there that restricted our ability to potentially allocate any amounts to reserve. And here it's kind of interesting, the ATO, when they when they, when you look at the instructions for filling out that form, they, they do very clearly refer to um, these things being reserves. But when you go back and look at tax determination 2013-22, they talk about these being unallocated contribution accounts rather than reserves. But uh, also reading into that, the ATO have also said that, you know, the reserve, the definition of reserve is not really kind of locked in um, and a reserve for tax purposes could include one of these things as well. So um, the first thing we need to do is go back and look at the deed and just confirm that it will not preclude this particular strategy, but potentially allows us to, to set up reserves and, and doesn't otherwise prevent it. Once we've confirmed that, the other thing that we need to do is actually set up the proper documents to prove what's actually happened. So what we would need there is a resolution by the trustee in the year the contribution is received in accordance with the fund's governing rules, not to allocate the contribution when it's made to uh, and to accept it into a reserve instead. So we need to actually have a trustee decision in writing, you know, something in the trustee minute saying we're, we're resolving to not allocate your contribution team in the year that it's made, but we're going to put that into reserve and we're going to allocate it next year. Um, we'd all also need evidence that the contribution actually received the contribution. Now, obviously, in most cases these days, people are making contributions by transferring money into their SMSF's bank account, so that wouldn't be so difficult. Um, and then another resolution by the trustee to allocate the contribution from the reserve in the following financial year in accordance with the CIS regulation 7082. So obviously by 28 days after the end of the month in which the contribution was made. So really important. Now, what I would say is really critical that you actually go and put all that paperwork in place because if the ATO was to come back and challenge this for any reason, they would show, show us your trustee resolutions that approved you did all this. If you can't provide that, 
then they may say, well, no, you didn't. You, you haven't allocated that contribution to a reserve. So therefore, that full $52,500 that we've been talking about, that all counts as a concessional contribution in the the contribution was made and now you've got excess non-concessional contribution. So really important that you get all that paperwork lined up, deal with your accountant. You might need to go and uh, use the one of the legal firms to give you the proper resolutions to put all this in place. So make sure you do the work to properly implement this strategy. The other thing that really um, is important here is if you're going to go and make a uh, concessional contribution, so you, you're looking to use this strategy where you're claiming up to $52,500 worth of deductions uh, this year, but you're not going to, you're going to allocate $27,500 next year to avoid any excess concessional contributions. Now, in that situation, really important that you actually go and uh, provide your tax deduction notices to the trustee within the required timeframes um, because otherwise they won't be, you know, you're not providing a valid notice and therefore those contributions won't be deductible to you, they won't be accessible to the fund and you're all in a, in a mess. So it's a really important thing that we also get those deduction notices into the trustee within the, within the required timeframes and generally that is by the time you lodge your tax return for the financial year or by the end of the following financial year, whichever is the earlier. Yeah, so that's that's great advice. And the other thing I was thinking with contribution reserving, because it's all happening at the end of the year, is um, a member's total superannuation balance. Um, it gets measured measured at thirty June each year. Um, and it, total super balance is important for a range of purposes. Um, how will this unallocated contribution on thirty June be treated for total super balance purposes? Yeah, and this is another really important important practical issue to stop and think about. Now, the the real answer to this question is we don't really know. Um, That sounds a bit strange to say, but the AG actually has never come out and made a a public comment on this. However, our view is that you would actually need to include those those unallocated contributions sitting in the fund on the 30th of June in the member's total super balance for the financial year in which the contribution is made. So once again, let's say I'm going to go and put this uh, $52,500 in. The trustee then goes and immediately allocates twenty-five, but then we uh, allocate the other contribution made in June of $27,500. We allocate that to a reserve. So on 30 June, it's actually not sitting in my account. It's sitting in this reserve. And then the trustee comes back and allocates that to my account uh, at some point you know, before the 28th of July in the following financial year. Now, in that situation, you you might be able to argue that because those contributions are not sitting in my account as at 30 June, they don't count. But we don't take that view for a couple of different reasons. And the first reason is a very practical approach. And that is when you actually start to look at the instructions for the SMSF completing its annual return, That, as I said before, requires the trustee to account for and report contributions made in the year that they are received, not in the year that they are allocated. So once again, as I said before, that $52,500 contribution or total contributions, we're reporting all of those contributions this year. Now, when you follow the, the instructions for completing the SMS annual return through, that means that is $52,500 worth of contribution actually get uh, factored into the client's closing account balance for the year, which then therefore impacts their 
accumulation account balance and retirement phase account balance for the year. So once again, I kind of got that terminology one. So the closing account balance, which includes the contributions made, will impact the accumulation phase account balance value, and that's uh, specified at box S1 on the return, as well as the retirement phase account balance. And that is made up of both the members' uh, cap-defined benefit income stream and non-cap-defined benefit income stream um, uh, accumulation phase, um, sorry, retirement phase income streams. So I'm kind of going a long way around here, but what that essentially means is that when the when the ATO comes to calculate the members' total super balance relying upon the information reported in the SMSS annual return, it will generally go and look at that accumulation phase account balance and retirement phase account balance information reported at S1 and S2 and S3 in the SMSF's annual return. And because they're derived off the closing account balance and because the closing account balance is derived from a whole bunch of things, including the members' contributions for that year, therefore you can see that in general, the value of those contributions actually will form part of the members' total superannuation balance for that year. So where that becomes important is that if I'm looking at making something like a non-concessional contribution, because let's say I'm I'm over 67, I'm retiring before 30 June this year, and I'm looking to bring forward my non-concessional contributions into a year that I satisfy the work test, I actually need to think about, okay, let's say I go and I've made my $100,000 worth of non-concessional contributions already this year. Then in June, I go and put in another $110,000. If I then include that $220,000 total in my total super balance, does that cause me to have a total super balance that's over and above $1.7 million? Because if it does, my non-concessional contribution cap next year is actually going to be nil. So therefore, now I'm in the situation where I've gone and entered into this snazzy strategy to try and bring forward my non-concessional contributions into a year that I can make the contributions because I'm eligible to contribute. That's great. But the problem is when you go to allocate them, because those contributions have counted towards my total super balance and pushed it up and over 1.7 million, I can't allocate any of it because all of those contributions will be in excess of my non-concessional cap. Now, when I say I can't allocate any, I can, and I'm going to have to as the trustee, I have to allocate those contributions, but all of those non-concessional contributions are going to cause me to exceed my non-concessional cap. And unless I pull those $110,000 non-concessional contributions out of super in accordance with the excess non-concessional contribution rules, I'm going to be subject to tax at the top marginal rate on those. So, you know, it, it kind of dresses itself all up as, as being really good. And, and in a lot of situations that may work for someone, but you just have to stop and think about these practical issues such as the impact of the contributions on total super balance. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And just for completeness, there is, uh, I guess, an, a potential alternative view, isn't there, when it comes to total super balance, um, potentially because of uh, some different options in the in the annual return. Yeah. So this is what I, I kind of alluded to at the at the beginning of my previous answer um, is when you think about it, there might be an argument to say that. When you look at what counts towards total super balance, it actually includes two things that are relevant here, my accumulation phase value and my retirement phase value. Now, when I go and look at 
what is what does it mean by accumulation phase value? That is defined as the amount that a member would receive if they voluntarily cease their interest in the fund on 30 June. So what would their withdrawal balance be on 30 June? Now, the argument here is that, well, actually, when you think about it, because the contributions haven't been allocated yet, they wouldn't be included in that member's account balance. So therefore, they wouldn't be payable to the member on that date if they voluntarily ceased to have their interest. Maybe if the, the member allocated, or sorry, the trustee allocated them 10 days later, you could be payable 10 days later. But as at 30 June, and that's the date we measure total super balance, they're not in the member's account. So therefore, you exclude them for total superannuation balance purposes. However, if you want to take that approach, what you've got to do from a practical perspective is, as you alluded to before, um, you've, you've now got figures in the SMSF annual return for um, accumulation phase account balance and retirement phase account balance in S1 and S2 and S3. Now what the ATO is saying is if you want to put a different figure in, you need to go and fill out accumulation phase value and retirement phase value at boxes X1 and X2, and that they can actually be different from the values in boxes S1 and S2, for example. Now, the key thing here is to understand why they would be different. And what this is all about is that the ATO have previously said that um, because of the calculation of um, accumulation phase value, for example, says that it's it's the value of your withdrawal benefit if you voluntarily ceased your membership, um, or your interest in the fund. That means that the trustee could potentially take into account any realisation. So if we're selling assets to be able to pay out this member's benefits, we could potentially take any, into account any realisation costs, as well as any admin or exit fees that may, may apply in that particular situation. So that's why they say that uh, the value in X1, for example, for accumulation values could be different to the value of S1, which is my accumulation account balance. Now, what you'd actually need to do here is actually go and adjust X1 now for the unallocated contributions. So to say that, you know, my account balance is, let's say, $100,000, but I'm only going to report $90,000 because $10,000 of that is really contributions that were sitting in a reserve on the 30th of June. Now, potentially you can do that. Uh, you'd actually have to have an accountant that knew knew exactly what to do in that circumstance um, and know to go and fill out boxes X1 and X2. However, from our perspective, we would really say you should proceed with caution here. And the reason why we say that is that the ATO, once again, well, they haven't said you can't do this. They have released an SMSF regulator's bulletin to say that if you go and use a reserve in a way that uh, manipulates the cap to allow you to make something like a total, uh, sorry, manipulates your total superannuation balance in order to make a non-concessional contribution in a year that you wouldn't otherwise be eligible, then we will potentially deem that to be part for a tax avoidance because the member would have got a tax benefit out of that. Now, given in this situation, you would actually be, you know, going in and, you know, proactively changing the value of figures that you know the ATO will use to calculate total superannuation balance, you would want to be very sure that the ATO was comfortable with doing that in that particular situation. So we would strongly recommend that you go and seek guidance from the ATO, potentially in the in the form of a private binding ruling, uh, to confirm that that would be okay in that situation.
Okay, that's great advice. Um, so that's that probably everything we needed to cover. Is there anything else we need to know about regarding this? Um, no, I think we've covered most things. Look, from my perspective, it's a strategy out there. It gets talked about from time to time. It probably doesn't make a lot of sense in a lot of client situation, but from time to time, you will get a client where it'll make a lot of sense to do. Um, so what I would really say there is make sure you get all your paperwork lined up, make sure your deed allows it, make sure you get the contributions in with the relevant timeframes. And also critically, as I said before, make sure you get those deduction notices in by the time you're doing it, if you're doing this in relation to concessional contributions. Okay, that's great. Well, um, so that wraps up our discussion on contribution reserving. Um, just as Craig mentioned again, don't forget the article will be available on the First Tech site, which um, discusses this in more detail should you need it. Um, so thanks very much, everyone. Thanks a lot, Craig, for, uh, for the discussion. Pleasure. Thanks, everyone. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please remember, these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, you need to remember that any scenarios considered during this podcast were for purely hypothetical and illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. And finally, you should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decision and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be reliable and accurate, no person, including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited or Commonwealth Bank Group of Companies, accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.